Thank you so much for joining us for this message. Whether you're watching for the first time or you're simply catching up on a message that you missed, we're so glad that you are connecting to God's Word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you'll experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word Give in the menu on our website at KentwoodCommunityChurch.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. Give you the mic back. If you have your device or a Bible with you, um, let's read our text for today. We have two different scriptures that we're gonna read and in uh, reverence to the word of the Lord, I'll ask you if you're able to stand while we read the scriptures, we're gonna read two. Luke chapter two, verses eight through 11, as well as the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 11 through 13. Uh, welcome again to those of you who are online. Lindley is going to read the congregational part to help you hear and read right along with us. We'll begin with Luke chapter two, verse eight reads thusly. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse nine. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly terrified. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. All right, let's quickly jump over then to John chapter 17, starting with verse 11. Now I am no longer, this is Jesus speaking, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except me, the son of the perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That is the reading, and God bless the hearing and the doing of his holy word. While you're still standing, let's just go before the Lord. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to stand before your people and break the bread of life. Feed us until we want no more. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you very much, Lindley. Will you say, my joy? My joy. My joy. So that's what Jesus said. He said, my joy. So he was talking about his joy. As you know, we have been in a series of Jesus is the reason for celebrating Christmas. We talked about Jesus, our salvation. Two weeks ago, Mick preached a powerful word on peace last week. Are you still on the high from that word last week? I know that I am. Yes, we give him a, a hand of praise. And then this week, we're going to talk about joy. Well, you know what? A picture, if not a video, is worth a thousand words. And so before I uh, get into my uh, planned sermon, thought I'd show you what I think is joy personified. Um, just take a look. You'll see what I mean. Roll it.
Did y'all know our pastor could do all of that? Oh, that was awesome. That was awesome. Not only did you look filled with joy, you gave us much joy laughing at you dancing. <laughs> it was such a great celebration and uh, just so happy to be a part of it. Uh, and thanks for being a good sport. Now tell me, when, when he was doing the, the MC Hammer thing, did he look like he was like trying to stomp on cockroaches or something? I was like... <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for being such a good sport. All right. As you know, we're going to talk about joy today. And I, I sense the joy of the Lord in the room today. And I'm so happy about that. I want us to dive into what joy actually is and how we can live with it every day, all day long, no matter what's happening around us. Now, we know uh, if you've grown up in church, there are a lot of songs about joy. We sang one uh, this morning, Joy to the world, and we'll probably sing that again. You remember that old song, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Anybody know that? This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me, right? And then the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. And then we know what the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. A few people know that. Lord. All right, that's my sermon right there. Uh, <laughs> and then we know that the world sings about not joy so much as happiness. And so what I want to first start off doing is uh, dissecting, if you will, picking out, unpacking the difference between joy and happiness. Now, in our secular society, out in the world, there is a huge emphasis placed on happiness. In fact, it's in our constitution. We are guaranteed the right, right, to, to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All kinds of songs have been written about happiness. Uh, the more, more recent one that I could think of is that Pharrell Williams song, which is the title track to Despicable Me Too, right, about happy, you know I'm happy, clap your hands if you know that happiness is the truth, right? And then we even know that there's a gospel song. Kirk Franklin has a song, I just wanna be happy. Lots of songs out there about being happy. However, I want to inform you today that happiness and joy are not the same thing. They are not interchangeable. And the world would teach us to pursue being happy. If it makes you happy, do it. If it doesn't make you happy, let it go. So I looked up the definition of joy in Merriam-Webster to try to see if I could see the difference between happiness and joy based on the definition in Merriam-Webster. This is what I found. It says that joy is the emotion evoked by, being, by well-being, success, good fortune, or by the prospect of possess, possessing what one desires. Now listen to that. that uh, it, call, it says joy is uh, an emotion evoked by the prospect of possessing what one desires. I don't know who wrote this definition. I'm not sure they know the joy of the Lord. When you look up the word from which joy comes from, the Greek word kara, which is the, the word that we use both in the text that uh, we just read, 
That word can be translated, yes, delight, gladness, and of course, joy. But when it's properly translated, the true meaning of joy is the awareness of God's grace. Or, and this is what I love, grace recognized. If you get nothing else from what I say in the few minutes that we have together, I want you to remember that joy is the awareness of God's grace or being able to recognize his grace when you see it. Now, when we see joy through that lens, through the lens of grace, then it's very easy to see the difference between joy and happiness. There are big and significant differences between joy and being happy. Happiness, I'm just here to tell you, is fickle. It's sometiming. Happiness is a fair weather friend. It's only around when things are going well. It is temporal and happiness is elicited, is produced by what's happening around us. Happiness is an emotion, but happiness cannot happen at the same time that there is grief or sadness or depression or anguish. Happiness is about our circumstances and what's happening around us and our reactions to what's happening around us. The loss of happiness can result in all kinds of things like despair or addiction or anxiety or depression or toxic behaviors. Happiness in a word is earthly. Joy on the other hand is spiritual and from God. Joy is rooted in the very nature of God. In fact, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. Joy is internal and has nothing to do with what's happening around us. Joy is a constant that can be there no matter what other emotions are there. So yes, you can feel sadness and still have joy. You can feel fear and still have joy. You can even feel depression for a, a period of time and still have joy. Why? Because joy literally connects us to God because it's a part of the spirit of God. Joy also connects us to hope and to peace and to resilience and to determination and yes, to strength. And before I get ahead of myself and start hooping before it's time to hoop, let me slow down. The problem with happiness is when we are chasing happiness, we're chasing a moving target. We're chasing a mirage that will vanish when we get there. But when we have joy, and I want you to notice that I've not once said that we chase or pursue joy because the act of chasing something would imply that it's elusive, but joy is not elusive at all. Why is that? Because the ultimate reason for our joy is in one word. Can you guess that word? Jesus, I heard it out there. Jesus is our ultimate joy. We heard then the angels say in Luke 2, verse 10, 11, it says, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy 
which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I get excited just saying that and just thinking that because if you think about it, we need a Savior today. I don't know what you're looking at. I don't know what's happening in your world, but I can tell you in my world, I need a Savior. I need a Redeemer. I need a lover of my soul. I need an advocate. I need a high priest. Do you need that? So when we know that Jesus is here and that he is our Savior, that he literally connects us to God, oh, that's a reason for joy. Can I get an amen? Now, I don't like to quote songs in sermons. That's just not my style. But as I was preparing this, it made me think of one particular song that, uh, that uh, helps bring about joy or manifest joy in me. And you know the song when it talks about when we know the identity of Jesus, when we remind ourselves of who he really is, it ought to bring up some joy in your soul because he's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper, right? Isn't he not? He is a demon stomper. He is a chain breaker. He is a healer. He is a redeemer. He is a restorer. He is a peace giver. He is our joy. If you agree with me, would you encourage me by saying amen? Amen. Here's another reason that Jesus is our joy. Not only is he all those things, but he's all those things up close. When, G when angels made the proclamation about Jesus, it was significant because uh, up to that point, there had been 400 years that your history books will call the Dark Ages. 400 years where we have no recorded prophecies from prophets from God. So the people of God had gone four centuries without hearing a word from God through his prophet. And so when the angel came and, and declared, rejoice and be of great joy, for unto you a Savior is given, unto you a child is born. What the angel was saying is this God who, by the way, was already there, was always there for those 400 years, would no longer feel far away, would no longer fear, feel distant, would no longer feel remote, but that Jesus would come into the earth. John said it this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God and goes on in, in verse 14 to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among men. I have a, a glad tiding for you today. You are not alone. You are not isolated. You're not living in this life alone. Jesus is with you. And don't let any devil in hell lie to you any differently. You are not alone. You are not by yourself. You are not an oddball. There's, it is not true that nobody understands you. We have Jesus, our advocate. He put, Paul put it this way, that we have not a high priest that cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, that he was tested in all points, yet did not sin. What that means is what you're feeling, he has already felt. What you're going through, he has already gone through. So even if your family doesn't understand you, even if society doesn't understand you, even if the news folk don't understand you, even if Pastor Mick doesn't understand you, I'm here to tell you Jesus understands you exactly. Oh, and that's reason for joy. Amen? Jesus is our connection with God. His appearance on the earth as a human being, his death, burial, and resurrection bridges the gap between 
us because of sin. In the process, he carried our sin for us. He bore our grief and our sorrow for us. He took the penalty of our sin. And let me just part right there for just a second. The significance of Jesus bearing stripes for us. I can relate to this because I'm the youngest of two daughters. My older sister, who's four years older than me, um, when we were growing up, she was outspoken and maybe a tad rebellious and a little bit fearless. And she would uh, stand up to my mom and backtalk my mom and she would get in trouble a lot. Now, I grew up in a time and in a home that took the scripture serious, spare the rod, spoil the trial. So we got spankings growing up. No, no, I'm not telling the truth. We didn't get spankings. We got whoopings. <laughs> not even whippings, you know, where you pronounce all the syllables. We got whoopings in our house. And I'm glad for it, because you know, the whoopings kept me out of trouble. Uh, but very often, because I was the baby daughter, a little bit spoiled and a little bit uh, deceitful, I would often act innocent when I'd done something wrong. And because my sister had the reputation for being the rebel, she would get in trouble for stuff that I did or that I said. So there's more than a few times that she took a whooping that should have been mine. Now, I was short-sighted because what I didn't realize is that when my mother whipped her for something I did, at some time later when my mother was, around, was not around, that she would beat my behind for the whooping that she took from me. So she's not much like Jesus, but I can relate to it uh, <laughs> in that way, that Jesus took the penalty for our sin. And we no longer have to pay for the sin nature that we were born into, but because he bore our sin on himself, that we don't have to be condemned. Paul said it this way in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I wanna free somebody today who's been walking around with a guilty conscience where you can't quite get out of that toxic cycle or you know what the thoughts that you've had about people are or you know what you've done behind closed doors before you come into this worship center and say, praise the Lord, I'm blessed and highly favored. I want to stop the enemy's attempt to try to condemn you and make you think you are not worthy of the blessings and the favor of God that's alive from the pit of hell. You are not condemned. You are accepted among the brethren. You are a friend of God. God, you have been received and redeemed, and you are now a child of the Most High King because of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Thank you, Father. We can have joy because Jesus came to give us joy. Not only to give us joy, but to be our joy. Thank you, Father. The scripture tells us, he says, in John 17, 13, Jesus says, now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Remember, I asked you to repeat the words, my joy. Jesus was talking about his joy, 
Also in John 15, 11, it says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be made full. So based on these scriptures, it sounds to me like there's two different types of joy. There's joy that we can have, and then there's joy that Jesus has that makes our joy full. So I don't know about you today, but I want Jesus's joy. Does that sound good to you? You know, some of us like McDonald's fries, some of us like Burger King's fries, some of us like Five Guys fries. Whatever your present preference is, that's the fry that you want. I'm here saying I choose Jesus's joy over my joy or your joy or certainly the joy that the world would offer to you. You see, the true joy is having the joy that is Jesus. I love this quote from John Piper. He says, Christ not only offers himself as the divine object of my joy, but pours his capacity for joy into me so that I can enjoy him with the very joy of God. That's the joy I want. Wow is right. That he gives us the capacity to hold his joy. So what joy is that? As I round the back curve and come up the final straight uh, to finish this sermon, let's talk about what the joy of Jesus is. Hebrew 12, 2 says it this way. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne. Let's unpack that for a second. He says, Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I submit to you, cross wasn't fun. Cross wasn't easy. I submit to you that there was no enjoyment in the persecution that came with that cross. But the scripture says that he endured the cross because of the joy that was coming later. We live in a fallen, broken world where we are taught that we get happiness, temporary, or joy from what's happening to us right now. But that's not what joy is. Joy helps us see beyond our current circumstances and see our destination. There's a story, true story. I had the opportunity and the great privilege to go to South Africa many, many years ago on a preaching tour. I was there for three weeks and visited a, a number of cities within South Africa. I was in Johannesburg and Pretoria and even got to go to Soweto and Durban and Port Elizabeth. Uh, and I was sponsored by a church, a very large mega church uh, there in Johannesburg. And so I stayed in the nicest hotels when I stayed in hotels. In some of the towns, I stayed in one of the 
homes of the member of the church that I was there to speak to. In every case, these homes were big and luxurious. If you've ever been to South Africa, particularly then, and I suspect still so to a certain point now, there was a big gap between the haves and the have-nots, and we always stayed with the haves, with the big, beautiful homes and great gardens, and they were always behind big walls and had servants, and it was great. It was luxurious. Well, at this time, this was in the very early 90s, this was the, uh, um, the process of the dismantling of apartheid. And for those of us who are old enough to remember, you, can, you will remember that apartheid came down with a lot of violence. There was a lot of violence. And so when I got the invitation to go and speak in South Africa, I was a little concerned because there was so much violence. And so I figured that I couldn't be uh, any more safe than if I took my mama with me. So I asked my mother to go with me, and she did. And so we were there, and we stayed at the nice hotels. At, uh, at, uh, there was a, one hotel at Sun City. You remember that, Wilfred? Yes, I got to stay there, and it was great. We ate at nice restaurants, and after about two weeks of being there, treated like royalty, my mother, in her wisdom, finally said to um, our host that day, we were in one of the coastal cities. I can't remember if it was Port Elizabeth or Durban, but she said to our host uh, for that day, uh, we had some time, she said, can we go see where the black South Africans live? Because up to this point, in all these nice places that we had been staying, they were the homes of Afrikaners, the white South Africans. My mother said, I cannot come to Africa and not see where the people that look like me live. Well, because of all the violence and the upheaval that was happening at that time, our hostess, she was the wife of the pastor, if I remember correctly, was afraid to take us into an area where black South Africans lived. But she made a phone call because the church that I was going to speak at was a multicultural church. And so she called one of the members of the church whose name was Phineas. And Phineas was a black South African that lived in a squatter camp. And asked Phineas if he would give us a tour of where he lived. Now, it was such a tenuous time, such an uncertain time. This pastor's wife, she was so sweet and a, a lovely hostess, was afraid to even drive up to the squatter camp. So she parked several hundred yards down the road. And my mom and I had to get out of the car and walk the last distance to get to the squatter camp. As we were walking toward the squatter camp, and I began to look around, I saw the most desperate poverty and destitution that I'd ever seen up to that point in my life. The people lived in mud huts. Some had no roofs. Those who did, it was a tin sheet or even cardboard. There were squares cut out in the huts for windows and doors, but no doors. In the, in the opening and no glass in the windows. The topography, the engineering of the land was abysmal. Even though we were walking on what was supposed to be a road, there were these deep ruts. And raw sewage was running in some of the ruts because there was no proper engineering of the land. 
As you know, I'm a veterinarian by education, so I always notice when there are animals, and there were a few dogs walking around, picking around, looking for something to eat, but they were emaciated. You could see all of their ribs and even their, their hips, and, uh, and they were just um, um, desperate looking. And tears began to well up in both my mother and my eyes. I'd never seen such poverty before. And my mother looked at me, and she called me by my whole name. She said, Deborah Lynn Turner, do you understand with your same intellect, your same God-given gifts and talents, your same uh, temperament, if you had been born here in this country, this was the best you could have hoped for. Be grateful for where you are from and what God has allowed you to have. And I knew exactly the point that she was trying to make and tears were running down our cheeks and I was tempted to feel sorry for the people that I saw living in these conditions. Well, we visited right around the time of shift change. So there were a lot of the villagers walking back from the town in their uniforms from being domestics, housekeepers, gardeners. But they were pristine. Their uniforms were bright white and clean. And as I stopped looking at the huts and the, the ruts in the road and the emaciated dogs and looked at the people, the people had smiles on their face. And they, many of them were dark-skinned Africans. And so, you know, their smiles look like headlights with those bright white teeth. And we finally got to the village. And I had worked up in me um, just this sorrow and this lament about Phineas, my brother in the Lord, and the circumstances in which he lived. And I was ready to, sh to share compassion and sympathy with him. And as we were walking up, his back was to us, and he turned around, he saw that we were approaching him. And I'll never forget this. Phineas was what we as black people say was blue-black. If you're white, you cannot say that. But he was very, very dark. But he had on this white linen shirt and tan linen pants, immaculately dressed and clean. And I, rem I never will forget when he turned around and he saw us, he said, and I can't really do a South African accent, but I'm gonna try. He said, welcome to the land of opportunity. Isn't this beautiful? And I was stumped. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I don't see any beauty here. Well, as Phineas began to walk us through the village, my mother asked again in her wisdom some well-placed questions. How did you get to live here? Because this camp was kind of like in the middle of nowhere. And so Phineas began to explain that with the relaxation of the apartheid laws, that now black South Africans could live in towns where they had not been allowed to live. And so what was happening at this time, I can't wait to talk to you more about this, Wilford. What was happening at, that, at this time was many of the black South Africans got their possessions such as they were and began to migrate toward towns 
to find better jobs and so that their living situation was closer to their work. And when they'd get to a spot of land that was unclaimed, they would squat and, 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 and live there and set up these little villages. And that's what this was. And so for Phineas, this squatter camp, in all its squalor, in all of its poverty, represented progress. Because they were farther away from the oppression of apartheid and closer to the promise of a better life. Phineas taught me a valuable lesson that day that joy has nothing to do with what you can see around you. True joy from the Spirit of God has everything to do with the promise of where he's taking us. Are you looking at your current circumstances? We live in a world that teaches us to make judgments about our value and our identity based on what we can see, the kind of clothes we wear, the kind of shoes we buy, the kind of car we drive, the kind of house we live in, the nature and the diversity of our stock portfolio and savings account. And the world would tell us that these are the markers of whether or not we should be happy, whether or not we should have joy. Oh, but I'm here to tell you that if you will stop looking at your circumstances, stop looking at the situation, and I'm not telling you to live in some Pollyanna denial, but I'm saying to see past them. See, as Jesus did, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Stop looking at what the news says and what the pundits on the news say and what social media says and what your so-called friends say and even what mama them and auntie them say. Stop listening to the judgmental, condemn, uh, condemning voices in our, in our heads and ask God to fill us with his spirit, which brings the perk of joy because Here's the thing, joy is supernatural. It can't be explained. It doesn't make any sense. It will make it, things seem foolish to the world. It might even not make sense to you. Just like Phineas and his outlook made no sense to me on the outside, Phineas was grounded in who he was in Jesus and in the, uh, uh, in the truth of the word of Jesus. I don't know if Phineas ever lived in a house like we live, but what I do know is that he had accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, so he was right with the Father. And one day when he leaves this earth, if he hadn't left it, he is going to be in glory. That is the joy that is set before us. We can have joy because in this world, yes, we will have trouble, but don't you know that Jesus overcame the world? We can have joy because Jesus will sanctify your household. If you have prodigal children or a prodigal spouse or a prodigal relative, continue to bombard heaven and pray and intercede on behalf of them because the scripture says that he sanctifies the household of the righteous. You can have joy because we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. We can have joy because although we don't know what we're going to be like when we see him in eternity, the scriptures promise we shall be like him. We can have joy that even though we live in a broken, sinful, corrupt, scary, sad, violent world, one day I'm telling you and I 
believe it because Jesus said it. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Joy is your strength. Joy will help you endure your hardships. Joy will help you pray when you don't feel like it. Joy will help you be kind to people who are unkind to you. Joy will help you love crazy, mean, unappreciative family members. Joy will help you pray for those who slight you. Joy will get you through your grief and your anxiety during this holiday time. Joy will shut out the lies that the enemy is trying to tell you. Joy gives you hope. Joy gives you peace. Joy gives you endurance. Joy gives gives you resilience. When you have the joy of Jesus, no one, no power, no situation, no disappointment, no disease, nothing will take away your joy. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, as the words of that song says, this joy that we have, the world can't give it and the world can't take it away. I wanna challenge you today as we go deeper into this holiday season to take your spiritual attention. Did you hear me? Your spiritual attention off of your natural circumstances. That's so important, I'm gonna say it again. Take your spiritual attention off of your natural circumstances and focus on Jesus, who is the hope of your salvation. I encourage you to immerse yourself in the word of God. I wanna share with you what my mom shared with me as I was growing up as a, uh, a young preteen and teenager, still trying to grow in my faith. And you know, I was just a regular old kid and there were times I didn't wanna read the Bible, times I didn't wanna pray, times I sure didn't wanna go to church because we went so often. And she used to say to me, uh, she called me by my full name when she wanted to get my attention. And she would say, Debbie Turner, when you least wanna read the word, that's when you need to read it the most. When you least want to go to church, that's when you need to go the most. When you least want to pray, that's when you need to pray the most. So immerse yourself in the word of God and there you will find what you need for joy. You'll find healing and forgiveness. You'll find freedom. You'll find peace. Ask God to heal you of those hurt places that have dominated your emotions and your thought processes. God is able to heal those places so that you can be able to focus on joy. In just a moment, we're going to sing again, Joy to the World. But before we do, I'd like to pray with you. As I pray with you, I wanna ask that you have a moment of clarity and maybe even courage. I'll be honest with you, this season that we've been in has been taxing. Physically and sometimes emotionally, I'm tired. Having my guard up, where's the COVID boogeyman gonna be hiding next? What sacrifices are we gonna have to make for the next variant that's coming out? What's going to happen as we go into another political and election season, as it seems like our country is being torn from end to end? I need 
the joy that is the fruit of the Spirit of God. And if that's you too, just as an act of faith, I can't give you that joy, but I will join in agreement with you and pray that the Spirit of God will place the joy of Jesus in you. If that's you, I'm just gonna ask you wherever you are, if you'll come to the altar and let's pray together. If you struggled with keeping joy in your life. It's not an easy admission to make, I know. But I believe that the Spirit of God is here to meet you at the point of your need. Is there anyone? Come on down. I'd like to ask the rest of you just to begin to pray for those around you. Pray that the Spirit of the Lord does what only He can do. I think there are some more. I'll wait another second or two. able to easily keep a smile on when you're around people, but the instant you close the door or turn your back, that smile fades. This altar call might be for you. Would you come? I'm just trying to feel, follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I'm not gonna prolong this, but I do wanna be obedient. If you've been struggling with anger and rage, it might not bubble up to the outside. You might be able to hold your tongue, but when you're really honest, you're angry about a lot of things. And in some cases, angry at God. It's okay, he can take your anger. He can only heal it when you admit it. If that's you, would you come? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. If you feel prompted to come, I encourage you to be obedient, not, not for me, but just as an act of faith that you believe that God can intervene in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. I thank you for your love. And I thank you for your joy. The joy that gives us strength. The joy that the world cannot take away from us. The joy that bad relationships and financial difficulties and physical challenges cannot take away from us because it is your spirit. And Lord, you said you would never leave us nor forsake us. You said nothing would separate us from the love of Jesus. So God, I know that when you give us your spirit, 
and your joy is manifest, nothing can take it. So Lord, I pray for everyone that hears my voice that needs joy, your joy, eternal joy, supernatural joy. I ask that you pour your spirit on all of us. Me too, Lord. The joy that will help us endure our circumstances. The joy that will help us wait with eager anticipation on the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus to take us home. Let that joy sustain us through this holiday season, Father. Let that joy sustain us through COVID. God, I admit I've spent so much time praying that you end COVID. It never occurred to me to pray just to give us the joy to get through it. Give us the joy to get through these crazy times we're living in. And we will be so careful to give you all the honor. Unto you is all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name.